Welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast, fueled by Ripcord Arrow Rest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. Hey listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrow Rest, the bow hunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment in their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention? Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordarrest.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camo patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer. All right. Am I loud? You're loud. But Adam's singing, man. Come on. Loud and proud. A little whiskey. Test, 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 test. Are we coming in? The whiskey is fine? The whiskey is fine. Whiskey's fine. Brought to you by RNA Outdoors. The whiskey is fine. Well, cool. We're uh, basically summing up our trip. We've been spending the last two and a half days out in the Arizona uh, wilderness, if you will, uh, looking for elk sign, looking for any type of um, indication that there's going to be elk in a certain area, hopefully in a month. Um, And we actually had a really good trip. We, uh, you know, this is kind of part two of our little series we did as we were on our way to uh, Arizona on Thursday and then subsequently got there Friday and uh, spent Saturday and this morning just out looking, for, like I said, for elk sign, places to camp, and uh, also trying to find a few elk just to at least keep us interested for the next month, knowing that there's probably going to be some elk in the area. So 
anyway, um, as usual, got my sidekick here, Jason. We're uh, three days in without a shower and been eating <laughs> peanut butter jelly sandwiches for the last two days. How you feeling? Oh, man. I'm feeling like uh, I could use a real meal, a real shower, and probably even need a shave. But, you know. That's how, about just... a, how about a real bed? Uh, I don't know, man. Last couple nights... We slept pretty good. I yeah. thought it was pretty nice out there. Yeah, you it slept was. outside last night. I I chickened out. I thought the moon would be too bright, but uh, it was still beautiful out there. Any yeah. way you cut it. No, it was. It was. It was a really nice night. Um, both nights were really nice. Um, of course, last night, clear skies, no rain. Unlike the first night, we got a few drizzly um, rain spots here and there. Uh, got some really cool thunderstorms. Really neat lightning action going on. So. Again, coming from where we live, we we never see that kind of stuff, and that's Rain. just normal that? for for the folks in Arizona. So, well, just to kind of go over, um, I've got a few notes and just some things that that I wrote down. I like to do this when I go on scouting trips or when I even go on a lot of my hunts. I don't necessarily journal all of my hunts, but when I know I'm coming back to an area or, or there are certain key things that are important to remember, I always try to document them just so I have that information. So. Going through our trip Thursday, um, you know, late afternoon, we were heading uh, into uh, basically Phoenix. So we got to Phoenix. We'd made a stop at your brother-in-law's, had to drop off some pretty important stuff there for Steve. Oh, yeah. Hello. Had, uh, what was it, three three heads? Or four. four heads? Yeah. African, his African safari had some uh, taxidermy done, so we dropped that off. And then um, we got into Phoenix um, on Thursday evening. And we met uh, your field rep, Winston, who's your uh, complete Arizona field rep for the NRA then? He handles the whole state, takes care of everything. Wow. Which is, when you look at Arizona from top to bottom, left to right, that's quite a bit to ask when you look at the the, uh, the amount of, you know, Arizona's a pretty good-sized state. I mean, it's obviously not as long as California, but um, there's a lot of pro-gun NRA uh, Second Amendment people in, in Arizona. Yeah, quite a few. We met one actually up on the hill. That's right. Know? Yeah, it was funny because there was like a BMW driving by, and I think it had an NRA sticker in the window, which you normally don't see that quintessential sticker on a BMW in California. So Yeah, yeah, that's the way it is. So, yeah, we had a good dinner uh, with Winston. We also met up with uh, Dave Kellner, who's going to be um, probably hopefully sitting around the campfire with us in another month uh, when we go on this hunt uh, in Arizona. Uh, and then we ended up crashing out, um, well, kind of crashed out at the JW on Thursday night. <laughs> it was, we, we attempted oh, to crash out and then subsequently had uh, uh, our neighbors next door wanted to continue the fun until, what, 3 or 4 a.m., I think? I think that it was around 3.30 that I started thinking, is this ever going to end? <laughs> and I think it was like 4 when it finally did. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, not a lot of sleep, but definitely not a lack of sleep either over the weekend. So Friday we got up, uh, we left for Phoenix, or we left Phoenix, and we headed for Payson. Um, and, uh, of course, we got into Payson, I would say, I was around 10, 11 o'clock. And uh, we met up with a gentleman who has kind of some tribal knowledge of the area based on living there, but also was a college friend was it uh in-laws or parents yeah, friend it was in-laws friend of mine from college uh he his father-in-law lives there so uh, we met up with paul and paul was kind enough to uh, go out and get us a whole bunch of maps of the area and then basically just kind of show us some general knowledge and then um invited us to dinner but 
when we told him we were planning on staying wherever we ended up up on top of the mountain he goes oh he was kind of jealous i think he wanted to be up on the mountain too yeah he showed us that picture of him i think he'd said a few years 10 years prior when he had a backpack on and it seemed like that's where paul likes to be is in the mountains at least after talking to him so yeah for sure yeah, so we left uh, Paul's house. We'd, we'd gotten some information, some maps, and, of course, you know, you came with um, some information. You and I had done a lot of digiscouting uh, online, and then you had gotten some maps online as well, some actual hard uh, copy topography maps to just to kind of get an idea of, of the location and kind of bridging all of those maps together and then obviously having the, uh, the Onyx and the Google Earth stuff we had online. A lot of that stuff... You know, it, it's interesting when you sit online and you're looking at a location and you say, yeah, this place looks great. Or yeah. as you and I say, this looks really elky. And then you get into that area and you're like, geez, what, what the, the heck was heck? I thinking? Right. Or even and, uh, looking at the hard maps. I mean, geez, oh, crime. We had three different maps, hard maps. Plus we had the online stuff. And it's amazing how every one of them has different numbers. I mean, come on, people. Can't we all figure out that there's supposed to be one number for one road? <laughs> God. Well, yeah, so you're looking at one map. I'm usually on my iPad looking at Onyx or Google Earth, and I'm saying, well, you know, road 29 should be coming up here. Well, on the map, it shows in a different location. And then on the other map, it doesn't even show the name of the road. So it is interesting, but I think that's what's important is, is you get the most resources that you can. Absolutely. Pull that's it all the together. Lesson. And then, um, you know, one of them or a combination of all of them is going to be correct. So that's kind of what we did over the weekend. So our adventure kind of started on Friday. Um, we started on road 260, which heads um, east of Payson. Um, and we just kind of drove off the main road and we, we hit a couple areas uh, where we found some water sources um, that you and I had identified online um, via Google Earth. And uh, it was interesting. We were driving on that uh, on that Tonto village area and that road and we had pulled off the side of the road. We had seen a gentleman and his son. It looks like they had just got done cutting some wood or were, were doing um, some activity. They actually had a Coors yeah. Light in their hand, so they looked like they'd just gotten done. But it was interesting. We stopped and we talked to them because we thought that that would actually be a good place to maybe camp. And it's interesting when you stop and talk to people in those areas, typically they're open to giving you knowledge and information about the areas. And as you ask them more questions, they tend to seem to know a little bit more. So first it was, hey guys, how you doing? Good. You know, what's going on? And then that's when my daughter drew the early rifle tag in this unit. And next thing you know, they're like, well, this is what you got to do. Here's where you want to be. Here's where the elk are. So Talking to people and locals is, oh. is an important part of, of trying to make this unsuccessful. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's it's real interesting to, to – everybody's always secretive about their hunting locations. I mean, that's just the way it is. But when it comes to a really limited entry tag, most people know either they're never going to draw it or they're probably never even going to know anybody. So whenever you mention, oh, yeah, well, you know – I drew this really coveted tag. Most people are like, man, what can I do to help you? And those guys did that. They were, they were like, well, you know, we hunt this in the late season, but that's not the way you want to hunt it. The way you want to hunt it is the way the guides and outfitters would do, and you need more people. And so then they go through the whole explanation of need to have a person up here doing this, then you need to have two people over here. And it, it was really interesting to see them actually get as excited as we've been for, you know, the last three months. Sure. Yeah, and, it, and the other, I think, common theme has been for 
some of the residents and locals we've talked to, and we'll, we'll get to a few more of those discussions we had here in a little bit, but it seems like the stories are fairly consistent. And when you have locals that either live there or, you know, live in the Phoenix area, but spend a lot of time up there and they're telling you consistent stories, you know, that kind of tells you that, you know, hey, these guys have done this before. They have the knowledge to know how to get it done. Uh, and there's probably more behind that than, you know, us just saying, now ah, we're not going to take their advice and listen to it. So all those little breadcrumbs they leave are things that uh, are important, I think, will be in the success for Amber Hunt when we, when we get up there again in a month. Absolutely. So, yeah, so then we, um, it was probably midday, and uh, we, we were driving off the control road. We found a really cool area we glassed off of. Uh, and then we found this really neat water hole that, you know, as you and I were kind of walking to it, um, we had we'd al- we'd also marked that water hole on our uh, on our electronic um, Onyx Maps information. And as we were walking down to it, I just kind of got this feeling like as I'm seeing elk tracks here, I'm thinking, man, this is a good spot, right? And of course, as we walked around um, kind of the water hole, we saw that there was clearly evidence of elk in there we saw a coyote that had just slipped back in the area and what also was interesting to me was is how there was ground blinds set up basically (laughs) on all four corners and everywhere in between on that water hole and i kept thinking geez and i don't see any tree stands set up yet but i have a feeling when we go back that they'll probably since there's four ground blinds basically every corner of this water hole i'm guessing that they'll probably also be a, a couple of uh, tree stands set up there by the time we get there. Yeah, what's also interesting is, is you know, there's the stigma in Arizona that, you know, every water tank, trick tank, or, or pond that you get to, there's a trail camera. And I was keeping my eyes peeled the whole time, um, you know, just because that's that's what you hear. I didn't see one trail cam all weekend. And we had quite a few water sources. Um, we hit quite a few areas that had, um, you know, looked like a lot of traffic of elk. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, trail cams right now in Arizona are kind of a hot topic because they're talking about potentially abolishing the use of trail cams and, you know, what that would do um, to some of the hunting that happens in Arizona. Because quite honestly, when you look at Arizona from a, you know, an elk and a deer standpoint, it's one of your premier states to, to harvest those animals and the use of trail cams, if those went away, you know, could be a, you know, significant hit to the state for doing that. But, um, I just thought that was interesting, and we've talked to a lot of people that have said, yeah, I'm going out, I'm checking cams, I've got cams set up, but I think what it's telling me is is people are getting smarter about where they're putting their trail cams versus just setting them right on the tree, right in front of the water source, uh, but you also get some of that too, because you've hunted um, you know, areas in the northern Arizona for deer, you've hunted 7 West, and you've seen that behavior with, what, 10 cameras hung oh, on the tree? You know, I think one of the first examples I sent to you was was one of the on the seven west elk hunt that i went on and it was literally this tree was literally bare but there was four or five metal boxes on it multiple cameras on it things strapped around places and then that was just the tree that was pointed actually at the trickler then when you walked around every place where the trail came in there was one or two cameras i mean it was like there was no way anything could get in and out of that area without getting a picture taken. In fact, yeah. I figured my picture was taken at least a dozen times sure. at a minimum. Yeah, and the, the other thing the locals will tell you is is don't just set a trail cam out. Get a bear box for it. Get multiple locks because, uh, you know, those cameras will end up missing 
uh, and that's a that's a big issue uh, in states like Arizona where a lot of trail cams are set so so yeah so we identified that area of course it was good to again look at it in person versus looking at it online and uh, so we, we headed back to the truck and then at that point it was getting to be kind of late afternoon and we wanted to get up on what is the famed Mogollon Rim um, which basically runs uh, now is it pronounced Mogollon because we did have that conversation well, didn't we? <laughs> we we did so if I was a guy who had never heard how it was pronounced before you could probably argue it may be called the Mogollon Rim but it's it's not it's it's the Mogollon Rim so <laughs> sorry folks we had a good laugh about that yeah, for a we, while we were we, I think we were a little senile at that point <laughs> <laughs> and we kept seeing that word. We were like, man, how would you say that if you didn't know how it was pronounced? So anyway, we got up on the rim. Actually, we didn't get on the rim. We got up to the rim, and then we ended up about 10 miles past the rim because we weren't sure where actual the 300 road came in. Uh, we were we, close, within 10 miles. Within 10 miles, which was the other interesting part. When we got on top of the rim, there was some little white stuff on the ground, too. Did you notice that? I did notice that. Remember when I we got out and I picked some up and threw it at you? Yeah. So at, at the elevations we were at, when you get on the rim, depending on, you know, which location you're at, it's in the seven to 8,000 foot range. So, uh, and they've been having a lot of monsoonal weather. So when you get those rains, you know, and temperatures that are cooler at that high elevation, um, you know, looks like it created some type of sleet or, or hail or some type of snowy material that was on the ground. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, so anyway, we, we went down the 300 road um, and uh, basically found a spot on a point where uh, we ended up sitting and glassing um, that afternoon and then ultimately ended up, um, you know, staying there that evening and camped out on that point. But when we first got out there, it was interesting because, you know, looking at it from the ground up, it's big country. And then when you get actually on top of the rim and you look down, it looks even bigger because you see how far, um, you know, from the rim down, you're looking down probably, you know, a thousand feet, anywhere from 500 to a thousand feet. Then you're looking out probably three to four miles of, of just trees and ponderosa pine. And, and the contour. Yeah, the contours of everything are it's just phenomenal. So, yeah, so we, um, that was our first, uh, that was our first um identification of elk so when we were on that on the point up there um, we glassed down and we found a bull bedded there we found some cows feeding uh, and then within probably 30 minutes later i think you had walked off um, part of the rim to the left and identified that five point bull that was bedded um, nice five point bull you know obviously not the shooter that we're looking for but um, you know in archery season if you had an over-the-counter tag a bull like that walked in front of you it'd probably oh, yeah. be tough to to not to not you know squeeze off on the trigger but um, so we, we had glassed up some elk that evening, and uh, basically, like we said, we decided to, uh, to uh, hang out there for the evening and, uh, and, and camp out. We were um, basically under thunderstorms and lightning, so it was kind of cool. There was a few areas where um, you could see the, the lightning crashing in the distance, and I was geeking was... out with my camera trying to get pictures of all that, which I got a few cool photos of it. I did a time lapse as well, so... That was some neat. It was interesting looking at that aspect. You know, this is the monsoon season, which you don't, for those people that don't live in areas that have monsoons, it, it is really different. I mean, literally one time the sun's shining and it's beautiful blue and it's 90 degrees. And all of a sudden, two seconds later, 
it's black, black, and there are these huge raindrops falling out of the sky to the point where your windshield wipers can't stop it, and we're only driving like 10 miles an hour up in the mountains anyway. Yeah. So it's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, and it's it's so different than what we live in because, you know, we're going to a climate that is, you know, mid-70 degrees, but like you said, in an instant can turn, and everywhere you look, it's green. There's not a brown patch anywhere, and just about everywhere you look, there's a puddle of water too, which right now is a great thing for the animals because they're thriving, um, but you know, for us, it makes it difficult to try to pattern an animal because they may only have to go 100 feet to water versus, you know, a mile to get to water, as and an I example. Think we, we definitely noticed that, too. I mean, well, one, you could look down and you could look just about in every drainage and every little rock pile. You know, there was water in a top of a rock or, you know, down a little hole. And I think some of those elk that we were hoping to see basically didn't even have to leave their little cubby hole. They had food there because the grass had been growing good for the last few days. The groceries were good. Their water was within, you know, 100 yards of them. You know, they didn't have to go anywhere. Just yeah. right there the yeah. whole time. So that evening we uh, we uh, had some leftover ribs from the night before. Those were pretty good. And uh, we had a little drink up on the mountain. Oh, had a little Woodford good. Reserve on some ice and a little ginger ale, and I think we called it a night. So Saturday morning hits, and uh, so we wake up. I think it was around 5 a.m. Um, sunset, or the sunrise was coming up. It was probably glassing time around 540 is what I had figured. So um, we got out on the rim first thing that morning, and you had worked your way down to the left uh, of the uh, lookout point, and I kind of worked my way up to the right from where we had camped. And uh, right off the bat that morning, um, I had identified a black bear, which, you know, I saw this tree moving and I'm looking down there and I'm seeing this big black spot. And all of a sudden I see this, you know, black bear basically um, straddling this this little conifer tree down on the bottom is almost like a little cedar down there. And, and he did take a picture of it, folks. So we got verification that it was actually a bear and not because he had too much wood for the night before. That's true. It was a black bear. Check social media. You'll probably see a picture of it. Um, but was interesting when I identified the bear, it wasn't within probably 10 to 15 yards away. I see antlers moving in the bush too. So I see, wow, that's interesting. So I look down from there and I see another really dark set of antlers in the tree moving. So there's two bulls sitting there within 20 to 30 yards of this black bear and had really no concern in the world because they were all three of them were really hungry and the black bear wasn't hungry for the elk so um but actually identified um turning up a pretty decent five point he was really dark horned he still had velvet um again probably not the shooter that we're looking for uh, but nonetheless was neat to watch that bull walk out ended up going up over uh, into a um, kind of a saddled area uh, and then crossed over and i think the bear actually was kind of pushing him out but um, and then before that, I think I'd identified up to nine different bulls just on that right little side, um, which is the back side of that rim. Um, nothing really big, just a lot of, you know, five points, one small six point, you know, and quite a few raghorns. But, you know, nonetheless, um, in the Pretty morning, good morning, yeah, the morning time proved to be, um, you know, very successful for identifying elk. And then you, on the other hand, um, were, oops, sorry, Black we tail. just saw two nice bucks. Yeah, you see those, those bucks? were nice bucks. Those were nice deer. Um, 
You, on the other hand, had gone down and went off kind of the rim to the left. And, and what did you glass up down that way? Well, I, I kind of went the opposite direction as what you did, just because that's what we do. We try to cover as much territory. Um, the first section that I looked at, I didn't really find anything in, so I moved down. And when I, when I set up the binoculars the next time, I noticed um, actually this really cool pond that I, I hope to, to put a trail cam on maybe when we go back. But what's funny is I was looking at that trail cam area, and I thought, hmm, I wonder how to get there. So I was looking at the road, and I looked clean out probably three miles away. And lo and behold, here is a cow elk walking down the main road. And that threw me off for a little bit of a loop here. I would have never looked all the way out there except for that reason. But then I started glancing a little closer to us. I saw three raghorn bulls in that location. And then I moved down to try to get a little better angle on them where I could see them at a little closer distance. And when I got closer to them, uh, I noticed there was a big bull off to my left. And uh, when I looked out there... Naked-eyed, I, I could see I could see a group of elk out there. There was, I believe, seven bulls in that group, with one pretty decent bull. Um, still, probably his top end just really didn't look developed. Um, good fronts, good third, sort of decent royal, but the back end just was was really weak. Um, but then, after I saw the, that group of seven, I saw another group of three, all in. I mean, all these bulls were within, you know, a half mile of each other. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. I mean, the silly part is I think I only saw two more cows out of that whole group. So kind of told me that that area might be overloaded with uh, the boys at this present time and no girls. So Yeah. And that kind of seemed to be the theme a little bit, at least Saturday morning, is we didn't see a lot of cows. You know, basically all we turned up was bulls. Um, like I said, just in that one little, um, just in that one little area that you and I were in, there was you know, close to you know twenty bulls just in that area that were rummaging around. So, um, interesting enough, uh, you know that area holds a lot of elk, holds a lot of you know good, you know good antler deer or elk. But the problem is, is getting into that area. And you know one of the things that you and I were talking about was is, you know from the top trying to get down it's not the easiest and from the bottom going up it's not the easiest so getting into you know if, if we were able to glass up a bull from the top would be difficult you know from the bottom or at the top getting down to actually try to get in on that animal and that would be for anybody i mean it, you know i mean that was some pretty rugged country that we were looking at and you know you and i commented a couple of times well if this was us you know we'd probably just bail off sure. and you know i mean it'd be kind of crazy going down and then we'd probably be like, oh, I hope somebody come pick me up down to the bottom. But where's at, the helicopter? Yeah. At? at the same time, you know, um, you know, hunting with my daughter, she's she's. I told her actually on this drive home, I was like, okay, well, you know, you've only got a month to really prepare for this again. So we're talking about we got to get in some exercise here. Yeah. So after that, we, we broke down our camp, and uh, we can, continued to drive up the, the uh, 300 Rim Road. Um, then we got into another area that, um, again, there's a lot of turnouts on that road, which is nice because it you know, gives you the ability to get off the road. There's a lot of traffic on that road, especially on the weekends. And we got out, and, we, and we, one of the questions we had asked that gentleman down um, with, with his son 
um, you know, we'd asked him, you know, where the good burn area was, and he kind of pointed in that direction. Well, come to find out when we got out to that next lookout, you know, clearly when you look down, you could see where the burned area was. And, uh, you know, whenever you think of burns, especially, you know, in the forest, normally you think that, hey, that's probably a place that's going to hold some animals. And that's kind of what you and I observed when we went into that area and started looking for animals in the burned area. Yeah, and also noting, you know, while they were in the burned area, it was interesting, too, seeing elk that were basically charcoal color. And why is that? Oh, yeah, because they've been rolling in that ash to keep the bugs off of them. They just loved it. I mean, the one cow elk I saw today, I swear, she looked gray. I mean, if you wouldn't have known it, you'd have thought that she was, you know, either ancient old or, you know, just a look like a mule deer color almost. Huh. Yeah. So we glassed down in that burn area, and uh, you had turned up four bulls. Yeah, and that was... there was a bull in there, a specific bull that kind of caught our attention a little bit. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that bull, at least from your perception of what you saw. You know, perception-wise, at first, I was, like, really excited. Um, what really triggered me on that was his thirds. You know, Arizona's known for having good thirds on their on a lot of their bulls um the fronts were really developed on this one and the thirds were just as big as the fronts and then his royal was pretty good but then you could tell once again on his back end you know his his fifth was was pitiful and it just didn't look like he developed you know the main beam length that we were looking for which another gentleman had told me sometimes that their main beam length in this area it gets a little little short mm-hmm. but all in all what you and I both looked at them and thought you know the the points were still rounded we think that they'll grow a little bit more yeah but um it's getting to that point where they're going to start start rubbing here anytime which was real interesting we didn't hardly find any rubs anywhere so almost every elk that we saw you know did not you know wasn't rubbed they were yeah. they were all in fact that dark horned one it was interesting watching him walk through the brush literally turning his head completely sideways so his horns wouldn't hit yeah. the little alder trees yeah it so. was interesting watching their behavior as they were because a lot of that country is really thick country and they're they're contorting their bodies just to ensure that their antlers don't rub on a lot of that scrub which is painful to them in certain times because there's a lot of blood flow going to their antlers so yeah so we turned up that bull there was three other bulls with him none of which were you know obviously shooters but he was the dominant bull of that group and you know we probably suspected you know he was he was a six by six he was weak on his five and his six points on both sides one side was weaker than the other but you know like you said his fronts were pretty impressive the thirds you know were in the probably the you know 14 to 16 inch range i mean they were really really nice really good thirds and but to your point you know all the points were still rounded off so um, there's still the ability with good monsoonal weather, good feed, good water in a week or two. I mean, they say an elk's antler or antlers can grow, um, you know, a few inches a day based on uh, that time of year when they're actually growing. So, um, but you're right. It's interesting now that a lot of them um, still have their velvet because I think there was only one elk that I saw, and that was one this morning. It was a five point who had actually had his his antlers rubbed off, but everything else we saw still bared velvet on it so it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out i mean that bull 
you know, I don't think he can grow 20 inches in in the next two weeks, but you never know. Sure. I mean, yeah. I don't think he'll ever get to that aha, instantaneous pull-the-trigger status, but he would definitely be a bull that we would consider if if it got to the third or fourth day. Yeah. Yeah, so, you're on day four or five. He's probably on the top five list at that point, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, because... We figured, I mean, we're not really in this for score. I mean, we've kind of set a little bit of a bar because this is what you would argue kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, but, you know, this bull was in the upward range. We figured probably maturity-wise could be close to a 320 bull, um, depending on how, again, the rest of the, the season goes, could get into that 330. Who knows? Could could actually sprout and, and, and get bigger. But um, but was definitely the biggest bull we saw on this trip. Uh, and was one that uh, definitely got on our list and, and got our antennas going a little bit. Yeah, neat area that he was in, too. You know, looked like an area that potentially, um, if we could get access, which, you know, do, are we going to talk about that, too? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll get to some of that as we talk into kind of our, our afternoon on Saturday, what we did. So we um we basically continued to drive um the 300 road down and we actually ended up in a little town called strawberry uh, which sits just to uh, kind of the northwest of payson if you will um and it's just a small little community it's got a probably a one horse you know town with a bar and a church and and a couple places to eat and uh, we ended up taking a road called fossil creek road and we kind of went down and we scouted a few areas it was an interesting area because to me it was when i think about hunting in like new mexico or arizona um, kind of that rolling hills green grass cedar country that's what that was and that's that's kind of what i was looking for that's what i had my mind wrapped around when i was thinking about going to arizona so it was neat to get into some of that country and see what that country looked like yeah that was a really neat area you know once again the the only thing that i think it was missing is it would have been neat if there would have been a nice peak somewhere for us to climb up on and and glass back to to see some ground um but all in all it was it was an absolute fantastic looking area yeah i mean there was water sources all over once again it was green oh my gosh once hard to hard to explain to everybody you go to arizona you think desert you think arid you think cactus and we're driving along and it's like there's grass that's green. It's a foot tall. There's ferns all over the place that's just greener than green. It yeah. was amazing. It was. It was It was not to what I expected, but at the same time, it was neat to see. Uh, and they've been talking about how I think Payson's had some record years for, for precipitation. So, um, again, all that plays into to good antler growth and, and a potentially a good season for, for the fall. Um so then we uh, we went into so we, when we got through Strawberry we kind of went over across the next mesa and we dropped into a town called Pine, and uh, we actually met up with a gentleman who I had been contacted by uh, on the Hunt Talk forum. So Randy Newberg's Hunt Talk forum, I went on and posted a forum on there uh, in the General Elk group and just asked, you know, hey, friend of mine's daughter drew a you know early rifle um, 22 tag. Does anyone have any information about it? And I had a few emails, uh, and a couple guys, you know, had emailed me, reached out, didn't give me a lot of information. But um, a gentleman by the name of Glenn Dooley was one who reached out to me. And um, just immediately, I could tell, um, was definitely someone who wanted to help, 
Um, and my message was very general. It was, hey, we have a tag. We don't have a lot of information. Just looking for some general info. And uh, he was sending me email after email, text message after text message. Some of them I was sending to you. I think um, yeah. you were out of town. Uh, and uh, and as I was getting a lot of that information, I was kind of filtering it your way. Uh, and just a really neat guy. So we got to meet him at the Pine Deli. And um, just shared stories, shared some photos. Uh, we were looking at maps. We were just kind of talking about um, some of the general, um, you know, good places to camp, just general information. And uh, just a really neat guy. It was neat to meet Glenn. Uh, and also, I think, you know, will be, you know, a good resource uh, and someone uh, that we'll want to definitely keep in contact with. Absolutely. You know, what I found neat is, you know, he he's just like us. You know, I mean, he loves he loves that area. He loves to hunt. He loves the experience. He was surprised, you know, that she got the tag with so few points. But then he also mentioned a buddy of his that drew it a few years earlier. That's zero same, tags yeah, or zero points, right? Sa- same situation. Like, how did that happen? But, yeah. you know, it was really exciting. And, and he offered, you know, the nice thing, too, is he offered if uh, – we hadn't tagged out by by around the 19th that he was going to be up there scouting for his own so he'd be willing to help out and even if we just needed an extra back to help pack meat out you know i yeah, thought that was, was pretty to do that. pretty cool when somebody says just give me a call if you need help getting an elk out so yeah. And I think in in Glenn's interest, you know, he he, so he has the the 22 archery tag, which the season starts on the 22nd. So, you know, Amber season dates are the 15th to the 21st and then the 22nd the next day for the archery tag. So, you know, he's obviously got a vested interest. He's doing a lot of scouting. Um, But like you said, you know, he's in it for the same reason we are. We want people to be successful. He even shared that. He said, you know, I would love to be on a hunt where someone has never harvested that animal before and just to see the look on their face you know it is and it's it's so neat not only to see an individual but a child to be able to go out and you know take an animal that they've never harvested before uh, and see that exhilaration on their face so it was really neat to meet glenn Uh, it was nice talking to him and again look forward to maybe having him around the campfire in another month uh, after uh, you know hopefully we've got a good elk down so absolutely yeah, so we uh, had lunch at the deli, and then we headed back up. It's um, an area called Twin Buttes area, uh, and again, we just kind of drove around in that cedar country. And uh, lo and behold, we're driving, and you stop, and you say, "Wait, there's something just walked out in front of us." So of course, and if you've ever hunted in in some of that, uh, you know, PJ country or cedar country, um, you know, there is open areas, but the problem is there's so many trees back and forth that you almost have to move laterally to try to figure out, you know, where you're at. And then lo and behold, we drive up about another 25 yards. And what do we see off to our left? Man, it was kind of funny because when I saw it, I, I knew I saw something walk, but I couldn't identify what it was. And then I'm like, I backed up actually knowing, well, it's got to come out of this one spot right here. And nothing came out. So then, of course, I'm like, well, we're not going to sit here and wait all day. So we put it in drive, and as we drive forward, all of a sudden, here's two big bucks standing on the side of the road. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Deer, give me, give me your camera. Bucks. I'm like, yeah, give me your camera. It was great that you had the, your uh, good li- long lens on there because yeah. funny part is the smaller of the two, well, I don't know if it was necessarily smaller. It didn't have as many points, I can tell you that much. Yeah. But as soon as I grabbed the camera, it took off. But the other one stood there and looked at us and gave us some pretty good photographs. Nice 4x4 with eye guards. Really symmetrical. 
I don't know. Good forks, good frame. Just was an all-around great-looking deer, and we were both looking at it thinking, did that really happen? We're in elk country, and there's a mule deer standing out in the middle of the pinion. Yeah, exactly. It, it was, was awesome. It was interesting because that's you know, that area is not really known. I mean, there is mule deer, there is there is coos deer in there, but um, to turn up a buck like that, I had sent a picture to Glenn, and you know, of course, Glenn's like, "Wow, that's a good buck for that area." As I asked him, I said, "Hey, do you have a deer tag?" He'd already filled his deer tag in January on a on an early season hunt, so. Um, but yeah, really nice deer in the area, and uh, again, just good to see that there's thriving, you know, Wildlife, populations of animals. Yeah. We also saw another smaller um, spike by fork type buck with another mule deer doe. Looked like so, a black tail to me. Yeah, looked like a black tail <laughs> with big ears. What we've been used to seeing. So, uh, but yeah, just neat to see different wildlife uh, in that area, hopefully thriving. Um, yeah, so after that, we uh, we got back, we went back into Pine and kind of regathered ourselves. It was getting to be kind of afternoon, and we decided to drive that control road, basically take it um, from the lower rim, which was Highway 87, which takes you up near Pine and Strawberry, and take it all the way across. I want to say it was like 22 miles-ish, yeah. um, and it takes you all the way over to, to Route 260, which we talked about, which takes you um, east out of Payson. And what was interesting was is, as we were driving, we were, you know, we were identifying um, different uh, roads that would cut off the, the uh, control road. And as we were kind of moving our way up towards the rim, um, if it wasn't for private property, which was on a few areas that we couldn't get past, or um, these little road signs in the road with little A-frame pop-up road signs that said, oh, because of the burn, we're, unless you are um, work for the Forest Service, the fire department, or X... You can't be in here, and yeah. which for you and I um, was was kind pretty, of a downer because sucky is what the reason we were in that area driving controlled was to figure out how do we get into these areas if we can scout out from the top how do we get in from the bottom, and after seeing that um, I wouldn't say it diffused us but it was definitely kind of a letdown seeing that uh, activity there. Yeah, and um, you know I mean I, I, what what really concerns me is our whole. One of our game plans, which you always got to have A, B, C, and D, um, but I would say either A or B was to try to, you know, find something in that geographical area because that's where we were seeing most of the activity. Um, and now with them actually having signs up all over the place that says that that area is closed, I'm just hoping that, you know, that that changes yeah. because that would royally royally stink if you know we got this great tag and just happens that all the animals are in the area that you're not allowed to hunt yeah that would be actually very depressing so there was a recent fire um i would say of a month or two ago in that area uh, and a lot of the roads the access roads that actually go into um you know the the bottom end of locations off the control road are closed there's actually a trail it's called the uh, highline trail that cuts across and it basically it works parallel with the control road and also with the 300 rim road and it basically cuts all the way at the lower end of the rim Um, and uh, it's interesting because the concern is when you read the actual letter from the forest service it talks about you know due to monsoonal season and the erosion uh, and the potential you know downpours of water and the flash flooding we don't want people in these areas which i I guess I can understand that because when you have a fire, you lose vegetation, so you don't have anything that can soak up a lot of that water. 
Um, but at the same time, um, you know, you, you got to wonder how long is that going to be in that condition? Yeah. You know, because you figure the monsoonal season, from what I understand, goes a couple months. It's kind of the months of August and September, sometimes in July. So if it extends into September, then, you know, I think you or I are going to be making a phone call to try to understand what the status of that's going to be, because that could significantly alter, you know, the strategy and how we go after elk, you know, from the bottom up. Absolutely. And that's what's concerning to me is we... We saw lots of elk in there, okay? We saw lots of fresh vegetation growing in there. If that's the area that's got all the groceries and there's water there, which we already know there is, that's where the biggest concentration of elk are going to be. Yeah. And to close that off would uh, be an absolute nightmare. But not to say that you can't do it elsewhere because we've already, as I mentioned, have backup plan to the backup plan. But at the same time, you want to have all the options available for you so that if you find something that you want to go after, you don't get hampered by that. Yeah. And at this present time, you know, we're going to have to wait towards the end to figure out whether or not those restrictions have been raised or not. And probably won't find that out until, you know hunting season starts basically yeah one of my concerns would be is is if you know so there's 30 tags in this in this you know 22 north unit um so if elk start getting pushed around based on those 30 tags depending on the density where the hunters are you know you got to figure this is a you know this is a 17 point 15 to 17 point draw so these are probably and and Amber's the only one that drew the non-resident random. So everyone else is in the max, you know, max point pool. So these are folks that, and you know, no offense, but these are folks that are probably not going to go up and hike, you know, five to ten miles and try to push these elk, you know, certain areas. But my concern would be is if they get concentrated into that burn area, and we can't get access to that, um, that's going to really change the dynamic of how our hunt's going to go. Yeah. So yes. Hopeful, fingers are crossed. Um, you know, I mean, we want the water, we want the precipitation, but we also want to be able to, you know, use the full capacity of the unit. So, so yeah, so we continue to drive, and uh, we basically got to a point where, I don't know, it was about 6-ish o'clock, and we said, you know what, we probably want to get back up on the rim. We had identified a few areas potentially for campsites, and, and we've, we've, we have some ideas on where, you know, we may want to set up camp when we go back. But... So we ended up heading back up. We got to the uh, 260 road and um, headed back up to uh, the 300 road. <laughs> Interesting, as we got to the top and we started driving the rim road, <laughs> what would you say? How many elk did we see right off the road? 30 or 40. It was incredible. What, five or six different groups. I mean, yeah. some ran across the road in front of us. I mean, like, it, was, it was about, <laughs> was it 7.20? Because the sun was setting around, I think, 7.00. 30-ish, so yeah. it was right in that time where we were trying to get out to the point of glass. And uh, I like the one time when you're like, that's a bull! I'm like, just keep going, don't look. <laughs> wrong side of the road. Yeah, wrong unit. But yeah, there was a lot of elk we saw running across the road, feeding right off the side of the road. It was, it was pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, so we went back to our same spot we had camped the, the previous night before. Um, there were some other campers in there, so we kind of worked our way back up the road a little bit and um, set up camp. Um, I cooked up some uh, summer sausage and cheese sandwiches. Ooh. Which, uh, don't forget the hummus. Yeah, don't I had forget the hummus. The hummus. Had, the, had the chips, of course, and then 
<laughs> also mix this up a little more Woodford and a Sprite just to kind of tone the day and think back. We we kind of sat down and we reflected on the day. And I think when you look at Saturday, you know, as, as the, that was our full day. So Friday was about a half day. Today was about maybe a quarter of a third of a day just because we need to get on the road. But Saturday we had at our full disposal and we covered basically everything you and I wanted to do. And we even said this in our first podcast, we wanted to start east and go west, right? And we actually did that twofold. We actually started east, went west, and then went east, and then came back west again. And we, we essentially covered um, everywhere we wanted to cover in the unit that we, we had least identified on our, 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 our maps previously. Yeah, I think it would have taken us a little longer if we would have been able to access a lot of those roads that had A-frames saying you can't drive down here. Yeah. I would have really liked to seen some of those water sources that we had marked up in that area, um, as well as even over in the other area. Um, but, man, some of those uh, roads, now I understand why uh, people were saying, well, do you have a razor or a quad? Yeah. You know, a couple of those roads uh, we ended up marking uh Jeep Don't take truck needed. here. Do yeah. not take truck here. Yeah. So. Or, yeah, we put the Dodge to work. But, you know, that was something else that I found, you know, rather interesting, if you will. I don't know if the word's interesting, but the amount of, you know, ground pounders and razors and, and folks in Polaris Rangers and razors. I was amazed at how many recreational folks are just up there, which I think it's great. I think people being outdoors. And, yeah. yeah. Backpack. I mean, all that stuff is great, but. Um, it may become a little concerning come September if you've got a lot of that recreational activity going on. And, I mean, we probably at some points you saw, you know, uh, caravans of, what, five to seven razors coming around corners. I mean, yeah. some of it is it was it was eye-opening to me to see that much outdoor recreation up there. You know what's interesting is I experienced that in Colorado when I did that sheep hunt. It was amazing when I went pre-scouted, you know, how many in my opinion, hundreds of, you know, non-hunters or just people up there recreating were there. Same thing here. I mean, how many camps did we see? I mean, there was camps that had four and five RVs in them. Yeah. And, you know, it was great, you know, watching kids. You you know, we drove by and there were some kids out there plinking with 22s and yeah. another group of people playing cornhole and I mean there was people everywhere but uh, I have to admit that that one time when that razor came around that corner I thought that you know they could be a hood ornament pretty yeah. pretty easily yeah well they definitely don't drive them uh, with all the cautious uh, you yeah. know defensive driving techniques but um, yeah I was just I was I w- again I was just somewhat amazed at the amount of um, you know UTVs and off-road um, vehicles and and just you know all of the recreating that was happening, which like I said, I I think it's great. But again, in some of those areas that you and I went into um, below Pine and Strawberry, could be a little bit of an issue if you've got that much activity going on. And the hopes would be, is I mean, if you got people rifle hunting, that they would respect that and that they're not in there to you know hopefully jeopardize your hunt. So I think. I- uh, and once again, hopefully we won't have anybody that's anti that's trying because we've all heard those horrible experiences where people have been, you know, harassed by by individuals <clears throat> that don't believe in what we believe in. But uh, I think that with with it being September, um, school will be in. So like a lot of those groups that had all those kids that were out there, 
you know, they're they're going to all be in school. And now the backpackers on the other side, because we saw quite a few people up there yeah. that were backpacking, you could tell that that area closure affected them, too, because they concentrated in a couple different-looking areas that it, you wouldn't have necessarily thought that they would have been in. And they probably wouldn't have. They probably would have been doing that trail. But um, I'm yeah. hopeful that, that it lightens up. The other side of that is you and I both know that the archery guys are going to be funneling in. You know, they'll probably be scouting that weekend, and they'll probably be funneling in pretty heavy all during that week. Yeah. So, you know, that'll be, once again, that'll be one of those things that if we're somewhere, you know, they could come stumbling on in, you know, trying to find their animal that they're going to look to try to hunt, which that could be problematic. Yeah, and just because... You know, we have an early rifle tag does not mean we're guaranteed anything. And does it put the does it stack the odds in our favor a little bit? Yes. Does it stack the odds in our favor the fact that we get to hunt before the archery season? Yes. Before any season? Yes. So clearly, there's a ton of advantages to having this tag this time of year uh, in this unit in this state. However, comma doesn't mean there's not challenges that we're going to face. You know, throughout yeah. this hunt, and that's I mean that's elk hunting. You've done it for many years. I My dad took me elk hunting as a kid, and I never really understood it because it seemed like, you know, 20-plus years ago, elk were everywhere. You just went out, you know, you went in the mountains, and there was elk, and you shot a cow elk. But um, the ups and downs of elk hunting uh, are unlike, in my opinion, hunting any other species um, because you have sometimes those opportunities where you spend days on days to get into one location to have one chance at that bull and, you know, if you don't seal the deal, right, you just, you feel like crap. And then when you're feeling like crap, next thing you know, you get a bull that walks in to 20 yards, right, right on a leash, right yeah. when you're ready to cut your bowstring. So, you know, that's <laughs> elk hunting. And, uh, and that's just, you know, we need to be ready for that. And I think, you know, you and I know how things can go south real quick. I think the key for us is going to be, you know, keeping Amber pumped up, keeping her, you know, positive, which she is. She's a very positive person. She's never done this before. So it's, you know, it's going to take us to help her, you know, obviously to be successful, but she's the one behind the scope with her finger on the trigger that's going to make it happen. So Well, and the, the funny part about that too, and you and I have talked about this quite a bit is, you know, I really want her to have that elk experience. I mean, I've had it three or four times in my life where we had a whole herd of elk around us and screaming and bugling and carrying on and them running around being stupid or an evening where they just call all night long and you can't sleep because, you know, you're you're camped right there and yeah. they're just keeping you awake, which, you know, that was one thing that, you know, we heard too is we heard quite quite a bit of calling this morning. Yeah, heard some elk bugles. But we couldn't find them. That's what, that's what was funny. We know they were there. If we would have had more time, we'd have found them. But, you know, just like everything else, that's what I want her to have that experience. And I know once she has that, she's going to be hooked. Yeah. And that's going to be bad for me. Yeah, you may have just started a really bad thing. But, hey, she's going to be 18, so she's going to have to start applying for her own licenses, building her own points, right? Yeah, that's what, that's what I keep telling myself until <laughs> she keeps saying, Dad, I need you it's, to pay it's for January, my license. It's January, and Arizona's due at the end of the month. Yeah, don't forget to put me in. So I want that same tag again. Yeah. And 
she said she, that about Hunter Leggett too. We I never know. we never accomplished that one yet. I know. So we we may have to get that done. So yeah. So fast forward um, to this morning and uh, woke up again about the same time. Got up early. Had a really nice night. Had a full moon. Um, I was out tinkering around on the rim last night, just taking different photo shots. And uh, I was sleeping. Yeah, you were out. You were done. I was I was tinkering around with my camera, trying to get like the perfect shot of the moon. And uh, full moon last night. Slept under the stars. Just a just a really beautiful night. Woke up and uh, basically did our same routine we had done Saturday morning. Went out and uh, glassed off the rim. And uh, interesting enough. And I don't know if it was because, you know, we had a clear sky, no clouds, full moon, that the elk were really active throughout the night. But, um, you know, Friday night, it was overcasty, it was rainy, which could have held the elk in a little earlier or a little longer in the morning. But uh, we didn't see much at all this morning, surprisingly, as a flip from yeah. from Saturday morning. Crazy. I mean, what, you saw the bear again. That saw was the bear in the same spot. I saw, I think I only saw three elk total. Um two cows and one little bull so um just just different you know at least in the first in the first glassing session that we did yeah so and i yeah so i kind of pushed up a little farther and uh all the way at the top of the spine ridge was a was a spike and a cow and then something startled them because they ran off and there ended up being about seven or eight cows in that group so it was good to see cows there was a few calves in that group but um yeah, we kind of continued our pattern of working our way um, up the rim like we wanted to. We wanted to try to accelerate it a little bit because we wanted to get on the road. But, you know, we stopped and put a pretty good glass on a lot of the areas we had looked at Saturday, which Saturday we kind of sat down and it was almost like you put the glass on the mountain. Yeah. And it was like, oh, there's an elk. There's an elk. And we didn't see that this morning. So it, and we're looking in the same places, too. It's like they yeah. were there yesterday, you know, but today they're not there. Yeah. Or possibly because you know we did have the full moon and there was no overcast that possibly either they fed all night long and they were maybe in the thicker cover and they were bedded down and we just couldn't we couldn't see them because that stuff is thick i mean that one bull that i spotted in the brush that one time only reason we saw him is because his horns were sticking outside the brush right yeah that was that was a tough find, and it took me a few minutes just to find him after you'd already identified him because he was. He was just in that thick scrub, and, you know, unless you see him move their head, you'll never, ever see him in there. So, yeah, yeah very spotty elk this morning. Um, we did see some elk. I mean, it wasn't like we didn't see elk, but, um, you know, we didn't see the concentration of bulls that we had seen the previous morning. Some more cows, actually. That's right. Some more cows, uh, which, again, in a month, if we That'll see cows, that's not a bad thing. I mean... If, if we know there's cows, we know eventually there's going to be bulls, you know, in that area uh, wanting to breed those cows. So um, identifying elk is, is still a good thing, even though we didn't, you know, turn up anything really big during that trip or this morning. So, yeah, just to kind of round it out, we came off the rim. Um, we stopped. We fueled up and uh, looked for a couple areas to camp. That's kind of was another check on your checklist was to try to identify <laughs> an area and i know you're still kind of grumbling about that because you don't think you really found um a good place to camp but you know i was thinking about it it's like it's almost like planning the hunt you got four or five options let's say option number one don't work you got to fall back to option number three well with the camping scenario we did find a few areas that would say yeah we can probably get a fifth wheel and a camper in here if need be but 
you never know what that place is going to be like in a month. And all the areas that we may have thought, hey, we want to camp here, that may be, um, you know, the redneck trailer court there. You never know, right? Because there's going to be a lot of hunters. So with having a few areas, um, you know, I know you kind of want to be on the, uh, I would say, more in the central, maybe more toward the western side of the unit, just so we have that ability um, you know, if we got to send guys up on the rim, if we got to get someone up from the bottom, or if we want to go push the mesas below, you know, we're kind of centrally located to be able to do that. And that makes sense from a logistical standpoint. So that's the hopes. Now, whether or not that is it, because I, I really like, you know, the where we ran onto that gentleman and his son, and the next spot down below that, both those camping spots I thought were pretty neat. Yeah. Those, in my opinion, I would rather camp there probably than the other spots that we found. But you know, once again, that's that's a little further in, a little bit further back. Yeah. Which those are all things. Like I said, like you said, didn't figure out where we really want to be, but we'll make that happen. Yeah. Come early September. Well, I think the other saving grace is, I mean, if they made that tag all 22 unit wide oh man there is so much country i i was blown away i didn't we realize even see another hunter we wouldn't because there's so much area to cover in that 22 unit and what's interesting what we find with a lot of the archery hunters it sounds like most of them don't concentrate in the northern part of the unit which when you read about unit 22 it sounds like a majority of the elk hang out in that area around the rim uh, because there's a lot of good water and a lot of good feed but most of the archery hunters don't go there. And what was interesting was, is there was already the, uh, the auction tag had gone through Arizona and looked like he had taken a bull. Now, rumor is came out of area 22, but it was a very large, um, six by six that scored just below 400 inches. Um, that was already taken. So, um, yeah, pretty. And I showed you pictures of that, that bull, they had them on trail cam all the way up to, um, you know, the time of harvest. So, but Anyway, um, just to kind of close out our discussion, thinking back, um, you know, on our drive over late on Thursday and getting in there Friday, um, and then, you know, after having spent a couple days in there, what's kind of a a takeaway or a couple takeaways that you have just after never seeing it, having kind of preconceived notions on what you think you're looking for, and now driving home today after having experience being there, um, you know, what are some things that you say, yeah, that was a good thing, that was a bad thing, or just something that was general information? One, me saying that we should have taken a coyote gun, and we didn't take a coyote gun, and we heard how many coyotes? Yeah, okay. every morning. Yeah. So we'll we'll skip that whole subject altogether because yeah. there was plenty of coyotes to be, to be had. Yeah. Um, really, you know, I would say the thickness of the area, in other words, the ground cover, there um you know being in hunting in the northern area the ground cover uh, does have some areas that were thick but a lot of trees also having some nice mountains around that's kind of uh what i was used to what i had in my mind Mm -hmm. getting into that area you have the rim and really besides the rim there's no real mountains you know they're just there are hills. Yeah. So finding a place, my whole goal on this trip was to find some good glassing spots. And, yeah, we found some, but 
once again, we ran into that issue of, well, if they close this area to hunting, then those glassing spots aren't going to do us any good. Yeah. So the area is so dense with vegetation that getting from one area to another and because we have such limited experience in there, we don't know where all these old cat roads or, you know, country trails or we don't know Farmer Joe to get us through his locked gates to get us on to the other side where we need to be type of thing. And those are kind of, those are some concerns and as well as some things that I think, well, thick cover, you know, everything makes noise. You don't have to be as quiet as we normally would. Mm -hmm. And or if we can just get into an area and bugle in a canyon and find something. But as we talked before, I really hate chasing a bugle and not knowing whether or not it's something that we want to take because... You know, I we really got an inexperienced elk hunter on our hands, and we've got a great opportunity, and we want her to have a few of those experiences where she gets to see them before she actually takes one. But the last thing we want to do is have ammo in the gun, which we're going to have ammo in the gun, because yeah. what happens is if it comes into 45 yards and it's an absolute stomper, yeah. you know, you want her to be ready versus it comes in 45 yards and it's a little... Three by four raghorn, and she's got ammo on the gun. Yeah, as I told you before, do you give her the ammo? Do you not give her the ammo? Yeah, we're gonna have to figure that out because that's gonna be that's gonna be critical. Now, if we if we spot the bull and we see the bull and we say, yeah, this is the one we want. To your yeah, point, that's easier. But when you're hunting country that's thick and tough to see, yeah, and you're chasing a bugle and that thing steps out, and it's yeah the three fifty bull we're looking for, or it's you know the the four by five raghorn. Yeah, we don't want her shooting that i mean last day that's one thing if it goes to the last day but you know we we do want to like we said we do have a little bit of a bar we've set and uh, we want to try to at least get her you know a good experience but also the best animal that we can harvest so a couple things for me uh one you know you've hunted arizona so you like you you came into this having at least some some idea what what we were getting into but one of the things that I liked about um, the location of where we're at is, is we have we have you know plenty of stuff. So if we need to go and get gas, if we need to get food, if we need to get anything, all that stuff is there. Yes, you can essentially be from one end of the unit to the other and back. Um, and probably now twenty-two north, not all of twenty-two. Correct, just twenty-two north. Uh, we're specifically where we're at. Um, you know, you can be from Payson up around the rim and back down in probably two to two and a half hours if you just were driving, if you didn't even stop. So being able to cover country and, um, you know, be flexible in where you're going, I think that to me uh, is important uh, because, uh, one, it's going to allow us to have lots of sets of eyes out looking, but it's also going to be, hey, if I'm on the east side, you're on the west side and say, hey, we got to get to here. You probably know within at least an hour to an hour and a half we can be there and, you know, we can all put everyone's hands on deck and figure out, you know, what we're going to do. Yes. Um, The other thing that I think is important, and we just need to probably use this more, is resources. So you and I are driving up um, one of those Forest Service roads, and we meet an old boy. He's got an NRA hat, and, uh, you know, we start talking to him. And, uh, you know, good guy, you know, he starts telling us, you know, 
hey, uh, you know, if you go up the road a little farther, there's a private gate, so, you know, make sure you do the turnaround. But if you want to go to the Highline Trail Road, walk here. So as you talk to people, most of the time people are willing to give you information, right? Yeah. Um, just like the gentleman with his son. It's like, you know, yeah, well, there's a burned area back. He points to the general area, and they, they start to tell you information. And as they understand what you're there for and realize okay, yeah, these guys are from California, so there's already probably a check in the wrong box. But when they realize we're there for an elk hunt, we've got, um, you know, someone who drew a tag of a lifetime, they actually really want to help because I think a lot of them, and they'll even tell you, you know, like like Glenn, hey, I've drawn the 22 tag, my dad's drawn the 22 late rifle tag, and um, they're all there and they want to help, and uh, they're not there to even, even the guys that we know that have drawn the tags um, still want to be there like, you know, one yeah. of our one of our friends, Robert, with uh, Hunt and Fool, he even talked about um, you know how he was going to try to come and help out. You know, he turned his his, his tag back in, but um, just wanting to, that camaraderie with a group of people, you know, because you know there's a vested interest there. If I if I'm with them and helping them, that's going to help me as well. Uh, but also at the same time, um, they all want to do it for the right reasons, and that's to see you know a young girl be successful and harvest her first elk. So that's something that, you know, you're going to be going up early. Um, I'm going to continue to exhaust resources as I can and try to find, you know, some more information, but just continuing to use the internet, um, use forums and try to reach out to people and see who, who will give information. And some of it's probably bogus, right? You got an email from a guy, gave us a bunch of points. We plugged them in and it's like, okay, we can't hunt unit 23 as much as we wish we could hunt you into 23 but so we were getting a lot of that intel which really was bogus but um but yeah i think when you're there stopping in the market stopping in the delis seeing people just you know asking them questions you know hey you know i I noticed that you know trying to get up to this trail i was trying to go this way they may be able to tell you no this is what you need to do right yeah and and there's probably that guy out there we just haven't met him yet or found him yet but that's kind of what we're we're hoping to find is someone that'll give us a little more information on how to come in from the bottom and, and hopefully hunt those elk from the bottom up. So, and I, and I think that's a very good point. I mean, most of the people, if you're kind and courteous and you talk to them, that they'll give you the respect. Sometimes you're going to get cut cut off short, but at the same time, you know, I mean, it'd be nice. A couple of those areas we drove up into, you know, there was locked gates, you know, and. You know, there's dotted lines that says that there's ways through here, but maybe there was, and we just didn't know how to do it. So that'll be that'll be the learning curve. That's where, you know, once again, having somebody that, that knows that area, you know, would be very helpful. But yeah. we'll just have to wait and see. It's going to be a blast. There's yeah. no way around it. We're going to have a fun time. We're going elk hunting, I mean, in one of the premier units. And if nothing else... We're going to get to talk to the elk for a couple of days and have a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I'm just looking forward to the opportunity. I mean, you know, Amber clearly has her measure of success in her mind because she's doing a lot of surfing online and looking at elk. and Bigger than dad's. Is that one, was that one bigger than dad's? That's the only thing that's in, important to her. Did you notice that? Exactly. Did you, did you hear her say the that? Question, the question sent her pictures. Was that bigger than yours? Because what happens if she shoots a bigger elk than you? I have to pay the tax, Jeremy Bill. <laughs> See, Dad didn't want to divulge that information. So now that it's on the record, um, we might have to hold him to that. But I think, the, the, to me, the measure of success for her in this hunt will be having those encounters. Day one, you know, we get in there, we start talking with them. 
We have elk charging us into 100 yards, raking trees, cows, you know, cows calling. To me, she needs to have that experience to feel, you know, the yeah. hair on her arms raise, you know, the, the, the blood pulsing in her body. I mean, just the, the sheer adrenaline rush that hits when, you know, elk are close. But then second to that, you know, to me, it's harvesting. So, yeah, we're selfish and, you know, we know what this tag means. But really, at the end of the day, um, for her to harvest an animal, whether it's big, small, whatever it's going to be, um, for her to have that experience and shoot her first elk is, to me, you know, the reason why I want to be there. Um, Absolutely. With the hopes that, you know, it's an animal that we can't even wrap our hands all the way around the antlers. <laughs> but if it's not, um, that's okay, too, right? And that's that's what it's about. Hey, won't have to pay a tax during bill. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's true. We could do a European mount. We could do that right in the backyard. So... Anyway, we are 40 days and counting away. I, had to, I did the math TikTok. today. So I'll be uh, in hopefully prime elk shape when I get down to Arizona. I'll have spent a couple weeks in Montana. So anyway, um, appreciate everyone listening uh, and uh, appreciate spending the weekend with you, Jason. Had a good time sh- uh, sharing a camp, breaking some bread with you, looking over some areas and, um, you know, look forward to doing it this September and look forward to continuing to do it in the future. So thanks Lucas. It was a blast. And let's, what do we got? We got a little Garth Brooks going out with two pina coladas. No. Yes. Maybe so. There he is. Didn't you see Garth? I did. We had a great night together in Paso Robles. All right. Signing off. Me to Pina Coladas. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to RNA Outdoors. We'll catch you next time for another adventure. Hey, everyone. This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded, and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, Under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.